This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Welcome to another Joy 94.9 podcast. You're listening to Transmission Time with Jane and Rebecca. I almost said Lauren then. <laughs> it almost sounded professional then, didn't it? We, it? we worked that one out in about 10 seconds before we went to live to air there. Mm. How are you this week, I'm Jane? I'm quite well. Actually, I should continue the introduction. A show about transgender issues and looking at the world from a transgender perspective. Mm, so it is. Mm. But uh, it's been a couple of weeks since we've been on air and it's, been, it's well, good to I've see you again. Well, I've been on air. Oh, you have. <laughs> I, I've been enjoying a holiday myself. Well, Lauren's doing that at the moment. She's... Um, uh, I think she's wandering around Hong Kong at the moment. Does that girl have any spots left on her passport at all? It's, it's got to be full by so. now. I don't think so. I think she's over there on business this time. Lauren, we hope you're having fun wherever you are in the world and please bring us back something through customers. <laughs> We've <laughs> been that, waiting. That would be very nice. And we'd like to thank sort of Jade and Dave from Different Strokes for another fabulous little program. And remember that the Joy SMS service is, um, is back on air working, so... <laughs> 0427 JOY 949 or of course there's the email on air at joy.org.au and I don't think we've got somebody on the phone so uh, you'll have to use one of those two methods at the moment. Damn now Jane, what have you been up to in the last week? It's been actually a relatively quiet week. Um, on Sunday on my way to the JOY AGM, my partner and I just, we decided to go over to Eltham to the Environmental Expo. As you remember, it was a lovely day. It was mm-hmm. nice sunny weather. It's a little bit of a contrast from the day before and the day after. Where Isn't poured. spring in Melbourne wonderful? You don't know what you're going to get every five minutes normally, and it, it's amplified during spring. Mm. I basically went sort of unprepared because I had this sort of thick top on and jeans, and I was hot. <laughs> And it was quite, all quite sunny. This little expo was actually organised by the Eltham Council. And it's, it's not a sort of very large event, but it seemed to be sort of reasonably well patronised. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was billed as a family day, and of course they had lots of activities for the kids. Of course, like all these shows, there's plenty of food. And one thing I remember, there was an Asian stall that had the biggest pair of woks that I've ever seen. They must have been over a metre across. Now, I went to an event recently where they were making... Uh some Spanish dish, mm-hmm. and I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. And the dishes were massive, like at least a metre in mm. size. And the biggest gas burner underneath <laughs> it. I couldn't believe the size of these things. I, I wanted one for home. <laughs> well, you're going to have a party at your place, are you? I enjoy a bit of cooking. Uh, yes, you sent through a message the other day about what you were cooking. Yes, last night's dinner was um, lemon, garlic, rosemary and thyme marinated lamb shanks and the meat was literally falling off the bone with steamed vegetables. The night before that was uh, peri-peri chicken pieces. Oh, you're and, making me uh, hungry. Uh, well, you did have the option to eat before the show, but you chose <laughs> not to. Mm-hmm. Like all these environmental shows, there was a normal display of hot water panels and solar electric panels and a little demonstration of mud brick building. You know, mm-hmm. The Dabgate Eltham is a very mud brick area. And, of course, there are a lot of people trying to sell you something. As there always is. There, are, there always are. Now, one of the, the free offers, uh, there might be a catch to this, I don't know yet. They had some devices which you, uh, you put in your PowerPoint and you plug your computer into it and it's supposed to detect when the computer goes into standby mode and then turns mm-hmm. it off so you don't have um, residual power being drawn all the time. So I signed up uh, for a couple of those and somebody's going to come out and next week I think and put them in. I asked him how they actually can do them for free and evidently the government gives carbon credits because these things have a carbon credit with them and you basically sign 
on your rights away for the carbon credits and then the, the company collects the carbon credits. See, I'm always skeptical about things that are free but then required to sign stuff because I find that if you take the time well, to read through it, they I insist on like yet. signing over your firstborn child or something like that and they say, oh, it's just a formality. It's ridiculous. No, there's always some catch. There probably is, but we're, we'll find out. But if there's any money involved, sorry, go away. Whilst at the AGM, uh, a nice man, well, I hope he's a nice man, he came and fixed the uh, the, tr- the tire on my tractor that, that you know, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago. I had a puncher. Um, evidently, there were two big holes in it, um, So, but at least he fixed it. I didn't have to get a new one. And I'm guessing they were quite detracting from the tractor? <laughs> yes, there was no tractoring that week. <laughs> <laughs> for, the, for those that you're technically minded, these are actually quite big tires, and on the side of it is written 16.9 by 30. <laughs> well, no, it's big. <laughs> No idea at all what that means. And heavy. (laughs) I actually failed um, doing automotive shop at school where you had to rebuild a motor and had all these parts left over and the teacher asked, what's this part? I got no idea. You've got to know what this is. It's been six months you've been doing this. You've got to know what this part. Got no idea. He said, this is a piston. You've got to know what a piston (laughs) is. I don't know. He said, now, the problem is there's three in the box. Where's the other one? I'm guessing it's in there somewhere. Okay. (laughs) That's a little bit of my mechanical knowledge. Mm -hmm. Mine's a little bit better than that. (laughs) Good to hear. (laughs) Now... What have you been doing? Well, I've I've been on holidays a little bit, uh, enforced to take some holidays from work and that. Uh, due forced to, f- to take holidays? Yeah, fatigue management laws we have there, you've got to take holidays um, at least every 12 months. And that's okay. how, um, yeah, yeah. I sort of took the minimum time off that I could because mm-hmm. I really had no point in doing anything. But I did end up going up to Sydney and that uh, the other half was working up there for a few days and I managed to get tickets to the last uh, Joy of Sets taping. Um, Which, when I had a look on the website, I think it starts, was it next week or something? No, it's been on air now for about four weeks, but Channel 9 keep pushing it into a sexy new time. It's getting later and later, and they're wondering why the the ratings are dropping off further and further. Look, it's actually a really good show, and we love the taping. I actually got hit by a piece of the set, because there was something something very different they did this uh, for the last show. So uh, if you have been a fan, or you've been a bit lukewarm, I recommend definitely tuning into the last show. I'll just say two words, Warwick Kappa. But anyway, okay. <laughs> went up there, saw that. I drove the other half's car up uh, to do that. And I did do that straight after the show. And I've got to actually apologise to you, Jane, because last time we were on air together, just as we are closing up, you said, oh, you've got to drive to Sydney after this, don't you? And I went into panic mode. Jeez, I've got to get to Sydney. I've got to get out of here. And I cut you off and I didn't let you say goodbye. So I promise I'll let that happen this week okay. on the show. One question I have got uh, about... When they do the taping of these shows, mm-hmm. I take it they do it in, in little segments or, or if they make a mistake, they go back and do it again? Or is it taped all the way through? Well, basically what they do for this show is they'll tape each segment uh, in between the commercial breaks and then once they've done that segment, they'll have a quick look back over it and if there's any mistakes, they'll do drop-ins to edit that. Oh, okay. So all up, filming a half-hour show takes about two hours, Okay. Now, which is pretty industry standard kind mm-hmm. of stuff. That, uh, so I did that. Uh, found this great little Italian place there. Um, decided to have dinner there and it was just absolutely gorgeous. I couldn't believe how good the food was and ended up getting a couple of things for takeaway to have for breakfast the next morning but ended up eating most of it that night. <laughs> Massively <laughs> overate on the Italian uh, side of the I thought you were on a diet. <laughs> I am. Uh, but, yeah, kind of got broken on that trip a little bit. So that um, on the drive back went via Wollongong. I've been there. Yeah, I, first time I've actually been to there and, uh, yeah... It, very very country, but with all the city rail trains running around and that, it's kind of like, mm. this is sort of how Geelong should be in a way, but uh, I did that. Uh, I think the last time I went up to Sydney, I think uh, we slept in the car mm-hmm. near the station. Um, uh. It was too late to, to get into a motel mm-hmm. and or the caravan park. We just 
lay the seats down and off to sleep. Couldn't sleep very well. No, you never can. I, I think I slept for about two hours on the drive up. Not really gar- recommended for people, but uh, so did that. So did a bit of car shopping because there was some type of car the other half was looking at, which you can't get in Melbourne. Mm. Uh, look, I don't know. It's it's cars, okay? I'm not getting back, in, back into cars. When we got back, we found out my um, girlfriend's former housemate had decided to clear the house out while she was away. And uh, totally clear? Pretty much totally clear. And that um, Left the bad knives and forks um, <laughs> and the chip glasses. That was about it. So, yeah, that happened. So, yeah, went around, uh, did a fair bit of shopping in one of those stores that has names of products like you've got read on a Scrabble board <laughs> and um, bought a heap of stuff for that. Um, interesting thing that happened, I sent a text message to my sister because she turned 40. Our birthdays are very close together and that mm-hmm. she didn't bother about anything for mine, but um, I thought, yeah, I should at least send her something because she's 40. And uh, I actually got a reply from her and that saying, hey, look, yeah, okay, we haven't chatted for really for eight years, but next time I'm back in Melbourne, I would like to catch up. So I've sort of got to lose the weight to be thinner than her now. <laughs> The challenge is on for that. But, uh, but at least that um, uh, shows you know, like an improvement in relations uh, beca- because uh, from what you've told me before, mm-hmm. um, relations have been very strained and you haven't seen her for quite some time. Yeah, she's always enjoyed being an only child, even when I was around. Okay. That, so, uh, yeah, it's all about her. So it's kind of strange. Maybe it's now that my dad has actually written her out of the will as well that uh, she sort of wants to get back in contact with me. <laughs> Who knows? I don't know. We'll see what happens. And um, actually speaking of my dad, um, he actually wants me to drive up to Sydney with him next week to deliver Ooh. his boat to his brother. A boat? Time. Ooh. Big yeah. boat? Little boat? Fairly big boat and that. Um, but, yeah, dad doesn't really do long driving trips too well. And mm. so I said, yeah, no worries. It's a few hours up the highway. So- are we talking uh, uh, a boat with a little inboard motor or an outboard motor? Or are we talking, say, that sort of 20 feet long or something? It floats on water and you can tie it behind a four-wheel drive. <laughs> Jane, don't get technical on me with these kind of things, okay? I don't do them too well. Then I had a really, really bad day where I um, went to use the ATM and the ATM chewed up my card. So Not nice? No, so I went to another ATM with my other card and that got chewed up <gasps> in that ATM both in the same day. And in addition to that, the bank says, oh, we don't know if the money's been taken out or not, so we've got to wait till we count the amounts and then we'll put that back into your account. And I'm still waiting on cards. I'm still waiting for this money to get cleared. It's been a very frustrating deal. They could not have dealt with the situation any worse because they closed all my internet banking, everything. Oh. And that, and like they said, I'll oh, just go into a branch and uh, get it all sorted out. I'm nowhere near a branch, which is why I'm trying to do internet banking to get all this sorted out. So uh, that's been but, horrible. So this was while you were up in Sydney? No, this was actually when I got oh, back into Melbourne, back yes. And that, uh, that all happened on my birthday of all days. So that oh. was a terrible, it was like, come on, <laughs> just give me a break here. But um, anyway, speaking of breaks, we maybe should have one ourselves mm-hmm. and uh, be back very shortly. Oh. With well, some... uh, we'll just sort of warn people that they're coming oh, up. Yes. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, the different types of sex reassignment surgery. Mm. So stay tuned for that. Yes, if you are a little bit of the queasy minded, it might be an idea to go make a coffee. <laughs> You're listening to Transmission Time on Joy 94.9. Transmission time on Joy 94.9. Amanda Palmer showing off her map of Tasmania, which is something we're about to do in the studio, Jane. Well, not quite the map of Tasmania. Well, maybe. <laughs> we'd just like to warn our male listeners. Um, we'd just like to let, let you know tonight that we're going to be talking about sex reassignment surgery and what happens to the male genitalia during uh, reassignment surgery. So if you're a little bit squeamish... Uh, as uh, Rebecca said, might be a good time to go and make a cup of coffee. <laughs> I've, I've noticed guys when you do talk about this subject, they usually look down and cross their legs and things like that, like, and it's like, come on, 
Give us a break. <laughs> well, for many uh, transgendered people, sex reassignment surgery is seen as a, a necessity for them to, to complete their transition, either from male to female or um, female to male. And tonight we're going to talk about some of the uh, sex reassignment uh, methods that are currently on offer for those transitioning from male to female. We've got a little bit of information on, on female to male, and we might uh, sort of go into that. We'll see how we go a bit later on. This is a topic that you'll very seldom hear or see um, discussed, especially on radio, but it's something that's of great importance to transgender people. What uh, Rebecca and I will talk about tonight is the result of uh, a lot of research over the years, discussion with other trans women who have been through reassignment surgery. Most surgeons seem to use uh, similar techniques for each method, but they all have their own little um, variations, and you will have to consult with your surgeon to determine exactly how they'll perform the operation if you're going to go uh, forward with it. Now, this is uh, me talking about from my own personal experience and it should be noted that uh, these are my personal experiences and each person should do their own research and make sure they are making the right decisions for their own personal needs. Mm, that's very important. We we don't recommend any sort of a procedure or any particular way to go. It's something that's between you, your surgeon and basically yourself I suppose. Now in terminology there are a number of terms for reassignment surgery. A sex reassignment surgery, SRS, gender reassignment surgery, GRS, and affirmation surgery. Myself, I prefer the term sex reassignment surgery because I think it's more descriptive of what's being done. It's your external organs that are being changed. To me, your gender is something that's within you and you can't change that. A few years ago, I discovered the terminology genital realignment surgery, and I tend to use that term for people I don't know. I just find it's a bit of a softer approach to actually uh, bring up the subject. That's really for people who don't know me and my past. For those who do know my past and already know all the details, generally go with the term genital origami. Uh, <laughs> I always find that one interesting. Well, you see, I had my surgery done in an Asian region, so it's sort of a, a bit of a, a tie in there don't really have an issue with any of the terms, but the term sex change irritates me a bit, bit uh, as does chop off your bits, which is just crude, rude, and, and shows a complete lack of intelligence, I believe. Mm, yes, uh, I've had um, a, a few people sort of, sort of come up to me and say, you know, have you had the snip or something like that? Yeah, you had your bits chopped off, you keep them in a jar, all that kind of stuff. Like, come on. <laughs> no, that, that uh, basically sort of doesn't happen. No. Now, uh, a little bit of history. We tend to think of uh, sex reassignment surgery as being basically relatively new. But it appears to have been happening for many years, though not necessarily to the standards that we currently enjoy. In doing some research for the show, I actually came across a reference to a Roman emperor who was said to have forced a male slave by the name of Sporus to have a form of sex change surgery, which is probably most a penectomy, which is just the removal of the penis, mm -hmm. and married him because he looked like Nero's slain wife. Now, there's no way we can verify this, but if it's true, it represents basically one of the, uh, the first known cases of sex reassignment surgery. Now, as far as I could find, the first successful modern surgery was reported in 1931 by uh, F. Z. Abraham uh, on a Dutch painter, uh, Ingar Wagner, who later adopted the name of uh, Lily Ebe. Now, there's supposed to be a film in production about uh, Illy, but I believe it's sort of currently on hold. Okay, and of course we would be remiss if we did not mention the famous and well-publicised case in 1952 of George Jorgensen, who had his uh, sex reassignment surgery. Word leaked out about the operation and the world press had a field day. The headline of the New York Daily News screamed, XGI becomes blonde beauty. Later, Christine Jorgensen, as she is better known, was cheered by an audience all over the world 
when she made her personal appearances. And she was also named Woman of the Year. At the, I think she was a member of the Dutch Society in the US or something. And uh, mm. 1953, I think, was she was made, named Woman um, of the Year. Yes, I was around then, but I don't remember it. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think I led a very sheltered life. Now, what kinds of surgery are there, Jane? Well, the oldest form that, that we know is basically penile inversion. The first form of uh, male to female surgery was, was what was often re- referred to this, uh, penile inversion. And uh, it basically involves a number of steps now this is not necessarily in order but basically removing and discarding the testes and the scrotal skin cutting a hole basically between your legs where the uh, the vagina will go um, now the boys won't like this uh, stripping the penis of its skin and sewing it inside out into basically a tube mm-hmm. and then that tube is then inserted um, into the hole which has been cut to form a, a neovagina now this is a relatively simple method as only the penile skin is used though um, in uh, some surgeons and, uh, and especially sort of later on uh, they use the head or the gland of the penis uh, still with all its nerves intact and, and they use this to form a clitoris uh, usually a, a small amount of skin is then sort of placed over the clitoris basically to give it a little bit of a hood and a little bit of protection. The main disadvantage of this particular method is that the neovagina is limited uh, in size uh, to that of the uh, the person's original material uh, that the surgeon had to work with. For those that have been on, on female hormones for a significant time, the penis, of course, will have shrunk a lot, and then, of course, this reduces the amount of material that the surgeon has to work with. Now, a bit of a rule of thumb that I read about this when I was doing all the research was if you basically take the erect penis size minus the head and then take an inch away from that length, that's basically what you could end up okay. with as a maximum depth. Okay. And yeah, it was fairly spot on, I found, um, post-surgery. For some of the figures I've seen, you know, the average depth uh, seemed to be about sort of four to five inches. Mm-hmm. And I've heard of some surgeons who basically use about a four-inch mould and that's about the furthest they would go. Another disadvantage of the penile inversion technique is that all the hair on the penis and around the base has to be removed by laser or electrolysis. Ouch time. This is painful and, of course, can, uh, can cost several thousand dollars. And, of course, it all adds to the overall cost. Now, the, the removal of the hair is necessary, otherwise you, you can have hair growing inside the uh, the vagina, which, of course, wouldn't be very nice. No, and that it's uh, a bit terrible. But um, I've, I actually had a penile inversion myself. We'll get to that later because the early inversion methods required a second operation some three to four months after the initial surgery to form the labia majora and labia minora. It seems that the later techniques don't require this to happen. And in my case, the scrotal tissue was used, and it gives a more natural consistency to the labia. Uh, for example, when my legs are apart, the labia remains closed because there's enough skin there. It also gives a softer appearance and, and feel to the area. Now, I heard of one case in, in the UK, uh, this is talking about the hair, where, um, where a woman was told before the surgery that it wasn't necessary uh, to remove the penile hair. And after the surgery, it started growing. Now, evidently, when she complained to the surgeon's office, she was told, oh, just go and get some hair removing cream uh, um, to, to remove the hair and it will be okay. Well, evidently she did it and it was very, very painful. Yeah, most of those things are made of ammonia, I think, from the chemistry days. Um, mm. Yeah, that, that would be extremely painful. Mm, it, it basically in such a sensitive area. Yeah, well, and of course it's not permanent. No. That, uh, well, look, with mine, uh, there was no need for me to remove any hair mainly due to the lack of hair in the area and also because the hair that was there was removed during the process. Um, I've also been post-operative now for a bit over five years and I've never had an issue with hair in any form. I decided to go this form of surgery due to the amount of donor material there was there to work with. I was one of the lucky ones, so to say, as as unfortunately lucky as I was. (laughs) Well, yeah, sometimes you're lucky, sometimes you're not. 
I mean, after all, the surgeon can only work with the material that's at hand and it's like going to a builder with three bricks and asking them to turn it into a five-bedroom home. You have to be a bit more realistic. As skilled as your builder might be, then you've got to be a, a bit realistic in all this. You can't be unrealistic. Mm, true. Now, now, one of the major risks of uh, sex reassignment surgery is basically when they uh, they cut the hole um, to deform the neo-vagina. Now, there's a high risk of cutting into the bowel and forming a fistula. Now, this is a, a, a very serious complication and a few of the surgeons I've spoken to, they all warned about that issue. Now, s- some surgeons were actually delay the reassignment surgery until the bowel has basically repaired itself and healed, but uh, others will actually um, go, uh, go, basically sew it up and sort of go ahead and do it. Worst case, you can actually wear a, a colostomy bag for, uh, for a couple of months mm. uh, until it heals. Now, the, while this is a major risk uh, with uh, M2F uh, surgery, in the hands of a competent surgeon, it's really greatly reduced. Um, and one of the issues that can help with increasing your chances of a fistula not occurring, a bit of a double negative there, is the amount of weight that you carry. And many surgeons will not perform the surgery if a patient is overweight. Losing weight not only helps you with the surgery and recovery times, it also helps with your general health too. So bear in mind it is actually worth getting yourself fit before undertaking this kind of surgery. Mm. And one thing you, uh, I suppose you have to be prepared is that you've got to spend a bit of time in hospital. Penile inversion somewhere about 7 to 10, ten days. Uh, a lot depends on, on how you heal. Now, I believe your time was only so about five days, Rebecca. Yeah, mine was five days, but I did have to stay in Thailand for 14 days, and there was a couple of days post that that I did have to actually uh, go and get things checked out. Mm. We should have a, a just a slight break here to have a bit of a breather, because it is a lot of talking on tonight's show. Uh, now, Sammy has actually made use of the SMS, and uh, a new listener for the first time, and thank you, welcome, welcome for coming on board, and hope you tune in uh, each week. But uh, we'll be back shortly here on Transmission Time on Joy 94.9. Transmission time, Joy 94.9, bit of Wolf Mother there, warming up the night with a woman. One of Jane's favourite songs. She's right into that kind of stuff. <laughs> no, she I'm might not. even have some uh, Swedish um, heavy metal coming up for the show next week. Yeah, so. Headbanging away in the studio. We've actually got to replace a couple of the walls now. <laughs> yeah, no, we'll talk about that next week. In this uh, part of the program, we will continue our little discussion of sex reassignment surgery and the different methods. Uh, the first version was basically the first method that was yet used, just called uh, penile inversion. Now, now we're going to talk about the non-penile inversion. In the last uh, decade or so, there's been a, um, some variations on the basic method yet used. Now, this still involves removing uh, most of the penile material, but instead of using it to form the neo-vagina, they actually use it to form the labia. In, in this method, instead of just straying away the testes, they are removed and the scrotal skin is, is used to, um, to line the neo-vagina. Now the surgeons um, do not require you to have any electrolysis as um, after the skin has been removed, all the hair follicles are punched out with a little tool, something like a little hole punch. Uh, they actually punch out the individual follicles. Of course this is done under a microscope just to make sure they don't miss any. Now from what I understand, the two scrotal skins are then sewn together and formed into a tube which is then inserted into the hole which they've previously cut uh, for the neo-vagina. Now one of the advantages of this method, uh, or disadvantage I should say, is it can actually leave a couple of rings of scar tissue. One where uh, where it's actually sewn into your body and then a second one where the the two pieces of scrotal material are sewn together. Uh, One person I was talking to is yeah, she, she actually has these two tight parts, and this is what she thinks has happened uh, to this uh, form of surgery. That, that stuff will basically come down when you're doing your maintenance and your dilation, mm. um, which we will be talking about next week on the show. That, that'll um, 
little bit of uh, care that yeah. happens down there. Yes. As I said before, the penile skin is not used internally, but it's actually used to form the um, the two labias, so the majora and the minora. So that means that the narrow vaginal length is not dependent on penis length. It also means that, that some of the penile uh, material is retained. And um, according to reports I've had, uh, this can give you a, uh, some nice feelings if you get sexually aroused. Now, in terms of that, I was actually told by someone before I had surgery that uh, she was told by her surgeon, if you haven't actually got the connection there already, it won't form magically post-surgery. Oh, okay. That You need to at least have some amount of sensation between the genitalia and your brain mm-hmm. and then hopefully you'll be able to keep that or it might actually be improved because things are, feel as though they're in the right spot now oh, okay. post-surgery. So it's something to bear in mind that you so, uh, don't expect miracles. <laughs> so what the surgeon was saying, it's not purely physical. No. Uh, there's, there's got to be a mental connection as well. So some surgeons also use skin grafts taken either from the thigh or from the stomach area if they feel that they are not going to get enough material just from, from the scrotal skins. From what I can understand, time in hospital is about the same as the penile inversion, um, and that's you know, roughly about a week or so just over. Now, I've heard of one surgeon in Thailand who does uh, another version of the non-penile in, uh, technique over a period of seven days. First of all, what he does is what you call the standard non-penile inversion, but he doesn't actually put the skin into the neovagina. Instead, he waits um, for the process of um, what's called granulation to occur. Now, the best way I could explain it was that she'd go to Wikipedia. <laughs> the source of all that is good and evil. Yes, uh, don't we just love Wikipedia? It says, um, granulation tissue is the perfused fibrous connective tissue that replaces the fibrin clot in healing wounds. Uh, granulation typically, or tissue typically grows at the base of a wound and is able to feel a wound of almost any size as it heals. Now, uh, I believe that his reason for waiting until the granulation tissue formed was that she gives a better base for the lining to attach to but because of it's a two-stage process you've got to wait seven days for the first bit and then another seven days i saw on a um, on a chat group uh, a couple of years ago um, the question was asked what happens to you know, your skin in those seven days hmm. and they said it's stored in a fridge <laughs> you'd want to hope that it's actually got your name marked on it and it's not one of those fridges where at 10 a.m every wednesday we clear the fridge unless it's clearly marked correct <laughs> yeah, there would certainly be some issues if you tried to use somebody else's skin because the body would probably reject it. Mm. Yeah. That, uh, now, there is a, another method, which is the third method, the sigmoid colon method, and it's more complex and more expensive and probably harder on your body. The sigmoid colon method is used if you have very little penile or scrotal material or if you've had a previous failed SRS surgery. And once again, from our fans at Wikipedia, the sigmoid colon, pelvic colon, is part of the large intestine that is closest to the rectum and anus. It forms a loop that averages is about 40 centimetres in length and normally lies within the pelvis but on account of its freedom and movement is liable to be displaced into an abdominal cavity. Basically the operation is similar to the previous ones except that a portion of a colon is removed and used to line the neovagina. As you can appreciate this requires two operations, one to remove the segment of your colon and two to put the into the neovagina. Now with the other two methods the surgeons are usually very careful to try and find and match the skin colour so that the final cosmetic appearance post-surgery as natural as it can be. However the section of the colon is removed um, I believe it's got a bit of a purpley colour to it and shows to the entrance to the vagina. Uh, one of the major advantages of the sigmoid colon method is that the segment of colon uses it's self-cleaning and self-lubricating, which is very handy if you want to have sex, as you'll not have to use an artificial lubricant. Mm. Now, I suppose as a little bit of conclusion just for this part, sex reassignment surgery is a very personal matter. 
what is right for one person might not be right for you. What we try to, to say is that that we recommend doing research and joining one of the, the active transgender, transgender email group, uh, discussion groups and talk to others who have had surgery. And if you decide you, you're going to go forward with surgery, consult uh, several surgeons and then make a decision. And remember, most importantly, sex reassignment surgery is permanent and is not, in big capital letters, reversible. No. You Don't rush in. There is no money-back guarantee with this. It's, you're not buying a used car. You're buying something to stick with you for the rest of your life. And really, if you do go through it, you're a supergirl. And that's a nice little segue into our next track here at Transmission Time on Joy 94.9. You are listening to Transmission Time. And Jane, I beat you that one again, didn't I? (laughs) Just opening my mouth and I heard. (laughs) Sorry about that. um, I think we're going to get a schedule to do this, Rebecca. You know, we're taking it in turns or or we're marking our little schedule. Who's going to actually open? (laughs) Might be an idea. Now, we've got a lot of things about uh, choosing your SRS surgeon coming up, but there was something else you had to choose and that was a haircut recently. (laughs) Yes, um, I had a haircut on Monday, I think it was. A woman I've been going to actually pre-transition and uh, she's been sort of really, really lovely. And uh, she asked me questions and uh, you know, uh, about my transition, how it's going, and uh, what I've been doing. Yeah, she's um, she, she's really good. Now, speaking about asking questions, we are hitting some very heavy subjects here tonight. And if you do have any questions, you can SMS us on 0427 Joy 949 or send us an email on air at joy.org.au. Now, Jane, when it comes down to choosing a surgeon, <laughs> how do you do it? Yeah, you know, we, we basically talked. A little about the um, the sex reassignment surgery, but we haven't talked about how you actually go about getting it. Now, Rebecca, you had your surgery what about oh, seven eight years ago? February five two thousand and six. <laughs> and it's ingrained on your memory, isn't it? Absolutely. Now, what was the process that you actually went through to decide on the surgeon? Did you just take what was offered here? No, no, you didn't because they, um, because yours is origami, so it was done overseas. Yes. <laughs> so, what was your your decision based on? Is it based on the technique or the cost? Well, my decision was a well thought out one and I basically started researching surgeons as soon as I made the decision to transition. I did this because I knew it would be a hard decision to make so more time I had to make it, the more informed I could be. In the end, cost didn't come into it because the difference between surgery in Australia or surgery overseas was only a couple of thousand dollars and realistically if I'd shown chosen to go with a budget airline instead of flying business classes I do never go international <laughs> then Ooh. the cost would have been a lot cheaper now now the reason for the business class uh, particularly if you're flying back you get that nice wide seat you get a nice comfy seat and when you're sitting on something that's been freshly created it's a lot more enjoyable than having to put up a little cramped uh, economy class seat mm, okay. so that, and the food's much better too of course oh, okay well yeah there's um there seems to be this sort of feeling that if you go overseas the surgery's actually a lot cheaper than what is if you have it done here no you look you've got to weigh up all your costs of say in australia you've got to pay your um, medical insurance costs and mm. your hospital stays and things like that on top of your surgeon fees whereas if you're flying overseas you've got to pay for your airfares and you'll have hotel fees and of course spending money to, to look after while you're out of the hospital but still in the country and passports mm. and that kind of stuff so the costs are actually a fair bit more in either way than what uh, people just think of the basic uh, costs. It's a bit like buying a, a new car and that you can get the car for 15000 but then there's all these optional extras <laughs> that bump it up to twenty and $1,000. But yes. uh, for me, I decided to choose a surgeon who I felt uh, could achieve the best result with the material that it was at hand, so 
to speak mm. and it wasn't at hand all that often. Seriously, I thought you would have gone with that joke there, Jane. <laughs> I, left it out there. I thought I'd just let that one sort of slip <laughs> uh, past to the keeper. Look, uh, after all, you only get one shot at this and so you may as well go for the best that suits your needs. Mm. On the show, uh, Lauren and I have often talked about sort of using the internet-based um, transgender support groups to help with research. Did you go down this path and did you actually find it useful? Well, with the online groups, I look at everything I read there with a grain of salt. And it's a case with any group I've found on the net for any subject, whether it's transitioning or car motors. Uh, you could have those that are for, those who are against, and those who think their surgeon is the greatest, and those who complain the doctor is no good, and those who blame others for every problem they had regardless of the cause. It's helpful to listen to what people have to say, but you really should ask the reason behind them saying what they say. People on the net don't speak the truth. They speak personal experience. And the two things are not always the same thing. Yes, I've found that sort of to require quite a lot. And when you look through them, I find that I tend to look for trends mm. rather than what's actually being said. So what were your particular needs? Well, for me, sex wasn't much of an issue because uh, while I wanted the ability, if I needed it, and I was after as much depth as I possibly could, but not at the cost of the appearance because realistically, sex is neither here nor there for me. And I wondered that if I looked in the mirror, I'd actually see something look like a vagina, not just an opening to hole in which to poke things. Post-surgery, I had sex with uh, a couple of guys and everything functioned fine. So I got the result I was hoping for in that regard. Did you have any fears about... Um going overseas for the surgery like you know it's a long way away from uh, for, from basically all your support you know did that worry you well look i i did but it was more of a case of fear of the unknown than fear of the surgery my grs was the 10th operation i'd had at that point had quite a few more since uh so hospitals don't concern me in the slightest my fear was more about the conditions and the stability of the country in regard to those the hospital did look a little bit gritty on the outside but they're most places bangkok too do look like that mm. and uh, I think that's sort of basically the very damp atmosphere that's yeah. over there and the warmth so you tend to get a lot of mould on things mm. it's yeah a bit like um, the Gold Coast on steroids I guess but <laughs> <laughs> but uh, in, in terms of patient care the standards were on par with anything I've I've had in Australia in public or private hospitals and you have to remember that surgery is a major industry in Thailand and surgeons with a high reputation want to keep that reputation. The internet can easily destroy one's reputation very quickly very these days. Yes. And as for the stability of the country, while I was there there was actually a coup occurring and it really wasn't an issue at all and that uh, the Thai people make you feel very welcome regardless of the internal politics. Mm. Well, when I was over there they were having the uh, the riots by the red shirts in Bangkok but we stayed away from Bangkok. Yeah, well look, uh, look uh, this might be preaching to the lowest common denominator here, but listen, if you see a tank rolling down the street, don't walk up to it. <laughs> I think that applies wherever you are in the world. Yes. And that, it's a fairly straightforward thing, isn't it? It is. Don't yeah. run towards the gunshot to try and get a photo on that. <laughs> Go away. I certainly sort of agree with you about the high medical standards in Thailand hospitals. When I was in Thailand last year, I had a chance to catch up with a girl who was... Um, from New Zealand that I knew and she was over there for SRS I thought yeah we'll just uh, pop in and sort of cheer her up a little bit and <laughs> doing a bit of ground research <laughs> while you're there yeah and the hospital was actually spotless and actually looked a lot better than some of the hospitals I've seen here in Australia mm. and her room well it was bigger than some of the motels I've stayed in it yeah. was huge the rooms are great yeah. and she had this lovely there were basically floor to ceiling windows um, across one end of the room looked out over the bay beautiful view mm. very nice 
Okay. Um, anyway, back to you. Why didn't you have surgery in Melbourne? Look, it come down to a variety of factors. And I was on a fairly tight timeline with my work as I was getting the surgery done while I was on my holidays. And work didn't actually know I was having the surgery done. And it would have caused a lot of complications there just with them being free days because they didn't actually want me working there in the first place. And I would have had to wait at least another 12 to 18 months, um, and I'd really had enough of waiting already. Mm-hmm. And that I, I just wanted to get this done and over, and over with. I was sort of sick of being in that transition phase of my life. And in terms of surgery, what I got wasn't on offer in Melbourne at the time, and I just felt more comfortable dealing with the surgeon that I had. Okay. And the benefits of having surgery in Melbourne would have been that post-operative care and if something went wrong, and I did take a risk there, but that risk comes down really to your personal circumstances. And personally, having been through a lot of surgery in the past and knowing how my body reacts to it, I was comfortable in taking the risk of going overseas. And a cheaper price or the chance to go overseas for a holiday never entered my mindset in the slightest. Okay. So... When you were over there basically waiting for the big day, did you have any sort of last-minute concerns or you know, or hesitations? Uh, look, rather embarrassing to say, but on the day of the surgery, I actually woke up with an erection, and I wonder <laughs> what the hell was going on there. Um, hey, hang on. Uh, doesn't this lead you down the track of, um, what's it, um, autogynophilia or something? <laughs> Well, uh, well, it was kind of weird because I think it was more to do with the fact that I'd, I'd been off hormones for a month beforehand and all of a sudden they decided to kick in that morning that uh, there's a bit of a testosterone account back in there. And when I was having the area shaved uh, prior to surgery, I had to have a Valium for that because it was just too distressing for me to have someone look at that area oh, and okay. see what was there. And that was all, it was more a mental thing than a physical thing. And uh, But apart from that, I was just happy that it was actually going to be happening finally. Okay. And after the surgery, we basically... Happy with the outcomes? Oh, bit of a difficult question to answer there, Jane. Um, all right. It's difficult because I don't have a reference point as to if it was as good as it can be because I have what I have and what I've got, and which is kind of a way of getting out of the question. But look, I'm happy with it in the sense that what is there is better than in every regard as to what was there. And I don't have any regrets about having the surgery, but it would have been much better just to have been born with the right parts to begin with and saved all this cost and expense and and <laughs> mental issues and being broken up with families and all that kind of stuff yes. but when I get aroused the former erectile tissue that's left there because they, they do leave just a slight because they can't get rid of all of it it does tighten up a little bit and I need to learn to relax so that I can actually okay. enjoy the moment because it tends things get, it's nice to have the sensation of things getting all nice and warm and fuzzy there but they, it does tighten up a little bit too much and that's just a matter of learning to relax. But from a day-to-day point of view, I'm happy. It does everything I need it to do, and it feels right. Uh, the decision to go down this path took many years to make uh, because there was a great leap into the unknown. But I know for me that was the right decision to make. When people ask me if they should have the surgery, I never say yes. It's not a decision for me to make for them. And certainly that applies to anyone listening to the show. And that it, it really is your own decision mm. to make. And you need to do what's right for you. Mm. And the only person who can make that decision is yourself. Mm. Well, we have to point out again that everybody's experience with surgery is different, whether it's for sex reassignment surgery or uh, other purposes. And, and Rebecca and I seeing a talk from our own personal experience and what is uh, right for us mightn't quite be right for you. So you know, if you are considering you know, reassignment surgery, we encourage you do your own research, talk to others who have had the surgery, and then make your own decisions. You're listening to Transmission Time. Enjoy 94.9. You're listening to Transmission Time on Joy 94.9 with um, Jane and Rebecca. Yes, uh, filling in for Lauren. She will be back in a couple of weeks' time. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, we hope she'll be back. Well, you might hope she'll be back because <laughs> then you're not on the show, are you? <laughs> no, it gives me a chance to get out and smell the roses and, mm. and enjoy the world out there. Well, maybe uh, later on we'll have to do a show with all three of us on. Yeah, maybe in that. But oh, look, I'm just glad we finally got the interview in because that's originally what was going to happen. I was going to come on air and, and have an interview done and for some reason I've ended up... <laughs> co-hosting the show and doing a lot of panelling and things like that. but um, Yeah, but you love it, don't you? I do love it. Now, look, we're, it's nearly time for us to be out of here. But, um, yeah, look, we've really covered a lot of heavy subjects here tonight, Jane. And, look, anyone out there who does have um, any questions they might think of while we're not on there, you can contact us through the blog, uh, I do believe. Yes, or uh, the Transmission Time blog. If um, it's, it's one of those sort of Google blogs. Or you can email us at transmissiontime at joy.org.au and we'll get back to you, certainly. And next week on the show, we're sort of looking at the flip side of all this surgery stuff, looking at dilation and post-operative care and everything that requires Which is... Uh, which is a, a fairly big subject in itself. And, it's, and again, it's something that not many people talk about, but it's important because it's something that goes on for the rest of your life. And if we want to get all FM shock jock, I'll come into the studio and I'll dilate live on air. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, that won't be happening. Look, it is time for us to be out of here. And Jane, I'm going to say goodbye now and then I'll just let you finish off. And when you're ready, that's when we'll go into uh, the next song for the Sound Museum. So, Jane, it's all yours. Take it away. Good night. <laughs> nice and quick. Oh, that's all I get. Thanks yeah. for the preparation time. <laughs> You'll be listening to Transmission Time on Joy 94.9. This has been another Joy 94.9 podcast. Joy 94.9 is a gay and lesbian volunteer-based community radio station committed to providing a voice for the diverse GLBTI communities. You can support our work by becoming a member or making a donation. For details, go to joy.org.au. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast, brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.